Welcome to the IP2 Podcast. I'm Shay Ashby, and as always, I'm joined by Felix Chung. Today, we are joined by Klaus Lassacher. Klaus has officially been the Judge Program Manager for LSS for around one year, but he has been an integral part of the Judge Program for Flesh and Blood since 2021. He is an experienced TCG judge, and he has traveled all around the world with over 150 events under his belt, including numerous lead roles. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, happy to be here. Klaus, can you give us a little bit of information about yourself, your background in games, or whatever you want to share with our listeners? Sure. Uh, as mentioned, I'm doing TCGs since some time now, and I think I started playing the first one when I was like, when was it like over 20 years ago? When I like started playing Magic back in the days, mm-hmm. I think it was like 2002, something like that. And since then, it was like a little bit of an on, on and off with TCGs, always board games, always other games. But at some point, when I moved to Vienna, it was the TCG looks nice. And at some point, judging started. And then, you know, the slippery slope basically just gradually uh, continued. <laughs> nice. So are you a gamer by nature? Do you play all types of games like board games, video games, other TCGs? Yeah, it's basically mainly started out with like a little bit of video games, you know, back in the days from like the original Game Boy to like up to like when you start with Windows and racing games. Later, basically got a fable for uh, strategy games like Command mm-hmm. and Conquer, Anno, and board games. When I, got, when I had a group, usually always, you know, basically a little bit more the Game of Thrones board game, Hunter, a little bit the more complex ones. But that basically has always been there. And then at some point, the TCGs hit it. And they really took it away from me. Nice. I've spent many hours playing Command and Conquer Red Alert. Ah, so yeah, I, I feel you. Yeah. Um, is there anything other important or interesting facts that you'd like to let people know about you? Uh, I finally correct you one is I originally uh, learned laboratory skills, so like uh, microbiology, chemistry, and then was like, eh, what do I do with this? I started studying political science, so actually I have a degree in political science. And then somehow ended up on international gaming shows. So it's always the, you know, the world takes you to weird places and all around. You ended up on international gaming shows? I like, yeah, basically when I at some point be like, you know, the local small pond of TCGs is not big enough. Then you go at some, you know, con, comic con kind of event and then you'd be like, this is nice. And then, you know, it keeps rolling. Well, I mean, being a judge in TCGs must draw on. I mean, there's the scientific part, like understanding the rules, but then political science. I mean, this is political science almost. Like there's <laughs> different nations that may be at odds and have different interpretations. <laughs> I mean, when, when you start as judge, you usually, you know, do it in your home pond. Like, you know, if it's like German speaking region for me, you know, your first event in Germany or in Prague, you know, like that's like, you know, fairly homogeneous. And like, you know, yes, in Europe, you're always with different cultures. Mm-hmm. But the first time I remember going the first time to a show to the U.S., I did not know anybody. I just took a flight to the U.S. And that's the stage when it gets really interesting, when you actively step out of your comfort zone a lot. And that was, for me, the first one left, like, huh, this is different. <laughs> what was that experience like the first time that you flew to the U.S., just kind of willy-nilly, I guess? I mean, it's the thing, you know, obviously what you, what people tell you about the U.S. before, like just in general, and then what judges tell you about like, oh, those U.S. judges, they rule those things differently, or, you know, they do that differently, and you know, you have these expectations that other people set, and then when, when you're there, you're actually able to make yourself an impression of what it's actually like, and not yeah. just like, you know, the hearsay from before. Yeah. 
Well, that's that's really cool. And nowadays, uh, before we delve deeper into the world of judging, is your current role with LSS a full-time role for you? Or do you have like a, another job right now? Or are you still studying? Like, what is what is that for you? Uh, so it's, a, it's basically full-time. I do some shows on the side that I technically don't need to do, but like to do to get in touch with the community. I said, technically I'm still enrolled into studying in my master's, but that, to be honest, the last year didn't do that much, but I'm basically considering like trying to finish it. But yeah, the shows and mainly the work takes a lot of time and mm. it's the, you know, trying to settle in and after a year, I'm slowly getting the ropes of it and it gets better. Got it. Well, that does sound like a, a lot to juggle. And before we move on, sorry, it's very interesting stuff here. You mentioned you're, uh, you you live in Vienna right now? Yeah. Okay. No, that's that's really cool. What's the gaming scene like in, in Vienna? I mean, for myself, I only have the scene in, in North America, in in my my own province in Canada, really, to draw on. Like, is there anything interesting about, like, how accessible is it to get cards, like, be it Magic back in the day or even Flesh and Blood now? Like, what's what's the culture like? I mean, it's in Vienna, We the city itself has, like, three now-established stores, like one that was, like, there forever, and that's basically every card game. Some card games that comes out, they will have it, as they had Flesh and Blood very early. Then there's, like, one, you know, that's the more generalized, you know, average gaming store, but super fancy. One was like just magic for 25 years, basically the hardcore, you know, sword in family, super relaxed. And then we got like the kind of competitive, you know, this high-end card shop, like a little bit more serious. But by now, I think in the city, we now have four TCG stores where three do flesh and blood. And if you get like half an hour into a train or car, you have like four or five more TCG stores. And I think two of them outside do flesh and blood. So basically it is pretty good and pretty nice. Um, it is mainly the, you know, what type of community you would like to be with because they all have a different flair, a little bit of different vibe. And that's pretty nice as a player. You can find your spot and your kind of thing you want to have. No, that's that's really cool. One thing that I've heard of in a lot of, especially these very historical um, European cities like Vienna, is um, perhaps that people in North America take space for granted. Like, it's easy for someone to find a strip mall in the middle of a suburb somewhere and start a gaming store. Um, and you can get 2,000 square feet and it's not going to be that expensive. But when I think about a city like Vienna that's older, it's it, it has a lot of history, a lot of historical buildings. I mean, is that a factor uh, in your experience? Yeah, definitely. And it is also with some games when it comes to the premier store qualifications, it's also a problem because sometimes mm. they're like, you need X seats. Like one store has yeah. conveniently, what is it? 36 players or like 42 if they go super tight. The big one had 130, but they scaled down to 90. And that's like the biggest one. And like one that had a lot of space is like literally in a former factory. And they basically were like, oh, we are half an hour drive outside of the city in the middle of nowhere. Here's space. Yeah. I mean, Europe does a lot of things right when it comes to, uh, you know, 
very beautiful historic cities and a lot of people living very efficiently and in, in all these uh you know these high density areas but mixed zoning laws <laughs> <laughs> that's right but yeah at the same time it means probably hard to just plop in a new lgs wherever you want yeah um, yeah. yeah no that's that's really most most really start off as some people trading in somebody's flat and then they get a small place and then they grow so it's usually okay. a Hey, this works out. Let's get a better one. Uh, like that was like the last one that actually popped up. They moved three times in five years to actually now have a proper store with like 64 seats. Mm -hmm. And the other ones, the other two ones have been there for in the current location since like 15 years or something. So yeah, it's hard to get a good space that you can afford rent basically. Thank you so much for, for helping us uh, understand a little bit more um, what it's like um, where you live. I guess our, our next topic will be what it was like uh, being a traveling judge prior to Flesh and Blood. I, I think I read somewhere, yeah, you have over 150 events that you've attended as a judge. Um, so just start from the beginning. Like, how did you get started judging? Like, what drew you to, to being a judge? I mean... I always say with judging, it's the before the pandemic and the after pandemic life, because that had impacted it a lot. But at the beginning, I think, what was I certified as a magic judge in 2016, both L1 and 2. And it's this kind of thing, you know, you hook up with the community. They'd be like, hey, you know, want to come to this international judge conference over in Germany? You know, we put five people in the car, you drive eight hours. That's fairly unusual for Europe. And be like, you know, meet 100 people that you've never seen in your life. And, you know, being like you play like vintage cube till like 1 a.m. Or, you know, you do whatever. Like you basically, you know, you get exposed to things that basically you want to have you have more. Like it's convention fever kind of style. And I remember then that I'm 217. I got my first international big show, show in Prague, where I was basically judging. And that basically kicked it off for me and was like, oh, this is really nice. Let's apply for more. And then I think my third big show to the recommendation of my mentor I did in the US. And then I was like, ooh, I can also travel and meet even more people. So it's, you know, it's these factors of the shows are nice, you meet new, meet new people, but you all can also travel. And that basically, I think 217, I did four shows, like Grand Prix back then. And like 218, I did already like 19 or 20 of them. So for me, I didn't do the usual, you know, you get eased in a bit. I very much scaled up very quickly. Mm -hmm. And that's a bit unique what I did, but it's the, it got me and it basically went and went and got more till the pandemic hit. And then it was this, you know, just let's say telling your friends in like Lyon, Hey, see you next weekend in Sao Paulo. And that moment came only two and a half years later. And that was like the first real speed bump on the way. Right. But yeah, a slippery road, I would say. Yeah. It sounds like it it really reeled you in once you had your first bite. It's easy to, you know, just have so much fun yeah. with the people that you drive with and then you meet and you want to be more and more people. What led to you making that first bite, though? Like, was there a need for judges within your community? Like, were there just yeah. not enough? Basically, back then in the days, Magic in a system that's comparable to ProQuests, just a little bit lighter with the PPTQs. And they required an L2 judge. So my local mentor was like, get your shit together, get L2, we need another person. <laughs> and then I'd be like, you know, traveled the country and basically it would be comparable to like, if I would do in one ProQuest season, like each weekend, 
each Saturday and each Sunday a different uh, ProQuest in a different city. Oh, so wow. I basically ended up basically always a three or four weeks season and I will do something each of the days or at least one of the days. And it was like really grindy, the not so healthy kind of grindy. But that yep. got me hooked on the challenge and got me hooked on like the community. So that's how I basically got a little bit pushed into the deep water kind of thing. And that also helped me pretty quickly to learn a lot with also the one big store in Vienna when you have like a pre-release of 140 people, you are able to learn a lot of skills that you know you don't learn in a shop with 30 people. And that basically kicked it off and also gave me a very good foundation to basically start off and be like, hey, this is my start of my judge quote career and go from there. Going back to you traveling to cities for uh, judging, were you going home at the end of the, each event or were you staying in hotels and just hopping from city to city because they kept going out farther and farther from, you know, your place of residence? So in the beginning, uh, I had like regularly three weeks trip. Uh, for example, as a judge from Europe that just got floor judge, if you travel to the U.S., having one show was very tricky money wise because like I can I was able to get uh, flights to the East Coast for like 300 bucks, but those mm -hmm. times are over. And basically, you needed to chain two events together and basically be like, oh, there's a show in Toronto. And the next day you go down, or the next day, on Monday, you go down to DC. On the way, you maybe look at, like, you know, some nice waterfalls on the way. <laughs> and that's basically how I think the worst one before the pandemic was a five-week trip. But usually, like, maximum two in Europe, there were never so many events. But in the US, you know, you could do Gen Con into something else, into some right. random SEG thing. Like there, the grind factor was very much given. Wow. And while you were doing all these things, like you said, in 2016, 2017, all the way up until uh, up until COVID, essentially, were you doing this as like a hobby, like a side gig while you were also doing the, the school that you were talking about? Or how did that work? Basically, I did it in a way that all my lessons at university were like Tuesday night and Wednesday that I basically could fly out on a Thursday to the US <laughs> and be yeah. Tuesday morning back from the US. Wow. Uh, and it was like tricky where like, you know, uni progressed, but not as much where basically COVID with like distance learning and other things, I finished my degree during COVID and COVID did give the push to finish that because otherwise I liked judging a lot and was like, eh, do I want to write the seminar paper or do I want to be right now in Japan? for like two weeks and usually Japan one <laughs> to the <laughs> yeah. um, university. But yeah, it was this mix of, I tried, I was maybe not as good at trying, but judging was kind of the also income wise, the, what I tried to be the main income, but judging as a main source of income is tricky if not done proper. Let's phrase it that way. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it sounds like you really structured everything in your life as well with organizing your lessons to be on Tuesdays and Wednesdays to support that as well. So no, that that's pretty smart. What lessons did you learn from all this time hitting so many events? Like if, if you could just pass on some words of wisdom from all this time spent on the road and doing these three-week, four-week, five-week trips to maybe some younger judges or people thinking about being judges, what, what would you pass on to them? Be cheap, but be efficient. And comfort is important. Like always staying in a... Uh, you know, in a hostel room with eight people or taking a Flix bus or like Greyhound equivalent mm. to like the other side of the uh, continent is not the healthiest thing if you want to do it in a long-term thing because it would literally just kill you. 
and just still have time for yourself. Like I did a lot, didn't have a relationship back then in the start. And you know, that makes life easier, but basically having still you time and still having something that feels like it's your home to just have a place of always going back to like that. I did not have that, that much for some time, but at some point the value of being more at home, enjoying it, but yet still enjoying people. And I think, yeah, the cheap, but enjoy travel, but also enjoy home. Yeah. And I mean, you've talked about so many interesting places, including Japan, the, the US, et cetera. Like, I guess if you could pick a, a top or most interesting or most memorable event from your time living this kind of life, what, what would that be? Who most interesting? My place-wise, Asia and especially Japan is pretty high on the list, as well as Brazil. But event-wise specific... I mean, before the pandemic, the Vegas events were always insanely big, like, you know, mm. several, like 4,000 people or something. But some wow. specific one, hmm, I think my first Japanese event does rank pretty high on the local, like, you know, I will remember this. But one was otherwise sitting in Brisbane in Australia after my shift on a sand beach of a pool at there's like a bar at like 11 p.m. after the show being like, I'm on the other fucking side of the world. Sorry for swearing. I'm on the <laughs> other okay. side of I'm on the other side of the world, sitting in a pool at 11 p.m. after a show. Like this is like something like you know that hits different, and especially the next day having a flight to New Zealand and going to like the all like all the Lord of the Ring things. Like that was like one of the moments where I was like, "Yep, this is pretty nice." <laughs> that sounds pretty amazing. I'd like to jump into Fab, and I was just kind of wondering what made you look into the game and further to that was it kind of natural at the point when you picked up the game uh for you to be the the local judge for the area whenever uh an event needed like for rtns or pqs whenever you got into it Uh, i mean as i mentioned before like this big shift with the pandemic because like after the pandemic things starting up took a long time like you know like in Mm -hmm. europe it was like 2022 in the us 2021 so basically, at some point when the when the locals were like, "Hey, this is new card game," you know, we would need a judge for nationals kind of thing. Before that, I remember sending an email to LSS and be like, "Hey, you know, I would like to be a judge." And I got back a generic email telling me, "Oh, there's no, uh, you know, there's no official judge program yet, but I will get an email if there is one." So mm-hmm. there was basically nothing. And I remember the first nationals back in 2020. Now was it 2021? Yeah, 2021 had nationals. Where it was like the oh the store can recommend you for the judge test like that was yep. the official like you know hey an official test and before that it was like some people make a Facebook group some people you know make something and they like, you know it exists kind of thing and the nationals was the first thing where we were like hey we're three judges we band together we actually you know look more to, like more, look more the rules with the documents we had back then and you know that was the first step and then kind of the like up to I would say with the US shows, the first ones that happened with Vegas and later, I did Cincinnati and Fort Worth. Like that one, I think, was the start when it also felt that there's going to be some kind of community because before that, there was no official platform. There was like a random Facebook group, maybe. And yeah. I think that's when it pulled me more in, where it was like, you know, it got this dynamic of this is something new. We can create something, you know, conferences, what I did, what I started off, and having this sense of ownership and basically being like, hey, we can make something new here it was very intriguing also the you know the rules were not perfect you could give input on that and 
when Josh back in the days got hired and, you know, he listened to the feedback and be like, hey, you know, this makes sense. And having having somebody, uh, having a company that listens to you and doesn't, you know, just disregard you, this then additionally gave this feeling of like, hey, this can become something nice. And well, it went from there. I was just trying to think of the timeline from when I got the original email um, from LSS to to become a level one judge for RTNs. It was RTNs. Um, yeah. I don't think the Discord existed back then. Or yeah, it was like, very new. We weren't really yeah. using it the same way that we use it today. I'm looking at my emails so uh, because I want to actually look up when I got the emails from FabTCG. Uh, let me see. My first email is uh, the 10th of May 2021. And I think I asked to be a judge. And what did I get? Thanks for getting in touch. In regards of becoming a qualified judge, the program is coming. And we hope to have it together for 2021. In the interim, okay. we recommend the following signing up the rules official rules page that was the thing right the facebook rules page and reading up on the rules and we're okay. strongly recommending you reading the release notes and that's what basically got back from lss and then the road to nationals in july 2021 and that was the first like more where stuff got moving i got my test three days later so yeah i tested July 2021 for my level one. Long time. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So what were your initial impressions of the flesh and blood judging community and the program, or I guess lack of program, when you first joined? I, I think lack of program defines it a lot. Where like, you know, with like different judges from different TCGs, like we had like a Digimon judge, we had like two Pokemon judges, um, uh, like and magic judges. Like I think it was more this, everybody kind of looks at the game and goes like, huh. Kind of looks interesting. Rules were kind of wonky because if you look back then, 2021 at the rules book, like there were some big, pretty big holes in that. Mm -hmm. And the penalty guidelines were like, oh, you upgrade this penalty. And it never again mentions anything about an upgrade in the whole document. And you know, we were like, you know, looks promising, but you know, maybe they want help kind of thing. It was more as, you know, you tip your toe into the water and be like, hey, what gets? And as mentioned, I think when Channel Fireball did the first shows in the US, and, you know, they were the first people actually traveling to a show. I think that's when the first sense of community came up where you saw the people that actually learned the game and cared and the people that just were the tourists and basically applied Pokemon magic or whatever policy. And I think that was the point when it started that it, you know, showed who was invested and who was willing to invest and who was not. And I think that's the first instance of like, you know, community actually like something resembles that. Okay. Was there something about Flesh and Blood in particular that drew you into Flesh and Blood specifically? Because I remember 2021 as well, like early 2021, and that was like the Wild West. There's like 20 different TCGs coming out, all promising to make you a millionaire. And like, I couldn't separate one thing from another. Why, why Fab in particular? I mean, I think it was this mixture of like, if you look at, uh, you know, Dragon Ball or One Piece, it always feels to come up and, you know, two years later, nobody cares again. And mm. I do need to say it was intriguing when somebody tells you card game, New Zealand, no big company, what, like, you know, what's going on here? Like it, it, it did give this something is different here. And um, basically the, like one thing that also helped is nobody else did events, like almost nobody. And it was like, yeah. hey, there is something. 
it feels like you get hurt. It feels like there's something happening. And I think that was an also an original push where a lot of judges went in. And for example, when other card games booted up again, like Pokemon started the regional circle again and Magic did like some shows where some people just, you know, flocked away again because what they what they had before came back and other people were like, no, this is kind of nice. Let's stay. And I think that was the mix that just make this made this a thing. So what made you decide to devote more time and energy to Fab compared to, say, Magic? I mean, for a long time, it was like the thing that happened, the thing where something, you know, you as mentioned, the feeling of you could contribute. Mm. And that's something that in other card games, you know, you got the answer of, oh, no, you know, this is three people running this judge program and you can do nothing. To, like, you can feel like you contribute. And when I started the conferences pretty early, actually, like most likely 2021, I think, did the first one, because I love doing conferences in Magic. Because for me, it's not only the education, it's also this, you know, the community coming together, the community doing things, like feeling as as something. And yes, having the education, but still. And I think that's something that I started missing from Magic, because with Magic having had a very big shift in the judge community before the pandemic, and this kind of thing went away. And I remember hosting a conference for Magic in 2021 and almost nobody showed up. And then some people right. like when I did online conferences were like just like complaining, where are my foils, where's my value? And in fact, you didn't have that. You didn't get promos for conferences. You just did them and people showed up and people mm-hmm. enjoyed it. And this kind of community spirit and stuff, like that's something where I was like, oh, people value this. They don't do this for sitting brain dead there for four hours and getting a pack of foils. And that's something that I had missed in Magic and that Flesh and Blood basically gave me pretty early on. One of the things I noticed about Flesh and Blood right from the start, and you've kind of mentioned it a few times, it has a more personal feel to it than I think some of the more corporate-driven TCGs. Like you said, you're you're able to contact uh, LSS and get uh, a response from a real person. Uh, you Seeing suggestions from some of the uh, surveys that they sent out, you can actually see the change uh, that they're trying to make. And I, I know I, for one, uh, that's part of what draws me to the game. And it kind of feels sort of the same for you as well, that you can, you as an individual can be heard and responded to. And there's something that feels really, really good about that. And it feels like you're kind of part of a small family at the, at that time. Yeah. I mean, I remember when, um, was it Monarch came out and, you know, people like overbought it, scalpers got it, it got expensive. <laughs> then Tales of Ario is kind of the overshoot. And, you know, it was like price wise, like nothing. Yep. And I remember back days, in the days, James making, like, you know, a post about it and, you know, acknowledging that this is happening. Mm-hmm. And when you look at other games where it's like, oh, no, no, you, the player base, is wrong not wanting this or just no comment. And this, you know, there being a response back in the days from LSS being like, oh, yeah, no, nah, we w- didn't do that great. And we acknowledge mm-hmm. that. And, you know, we're going to address this, 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 and this way. Or if it's, you know, when they short printed the one card and, like, you know, half a year later, there was this, oh, there's a solution for this. And as you said, it feels like you're getting hurt and it doesn't feel like, you know, you're shouting in a void and nobody ever listens. And that back in the days as judge already uh, gave a nice feeling. And especially when later Josh got in and basically kind of started the judge program, the proper L1 test and everything, like where also you could write an input. And I remember cornering him at the first pro day in New Jersey, going to the Outback Steakhouse, putting him in a corner <laughs> seven people or six and be like we, we want to help you yeah you don't need to do this alone but you need to accept our help 
yeah. you know, that's like how things like, you know, the exam group started off and other things. And where Josh was also, yes, please tell me and help me how we should run this. And that's, you know, was like took its ways. <laughs> that's that's awesome to hear. I actually never heard that story before. Um, like one of my, one of the things that speaks to me as a, a player and in something that wants to be a part of the game is that LSS is willing to admit mistakes. Like you said, they, they, they come out and they say, Hey, we screwed up or here's a solution for something that's that we're working on. I, for one, and I know a lot of people locally here that speaks volumes to um, the direction of the company and how they, you know, internalize things that aren't going well. And you'll, I find you'll always get more respect from the community when you come out and admit you made a mistake or say, say that you're working on something and you're not just, again, a faceless corporate aberration that's just trying to suck all of the money out of our wallets, right? That's, again, another thing that keeps, keeps me to the game, but I, I really enjoy that you were able to, like, tackle Josh Scott into the corner of a, a restaurant and be like, here, we're going to force <laughs> our help on you. Uh, I remember it was the show where, like, a lot most of us most uh, met the first time, like, James White in person and also Josh, and I remember... Josh in the big out in the big world and like his first big event and mm -hmm. you know it I think it was a pretty overwhelming experience for him in a good way and you know basically also getting in contact with judges and being like hey that's what people think they tell you they don't gonna be like you know uh, sugar coated in twenty layers they like actually tell you in the face and be like hey this we need to fix this we need to do this and that I think was also a very good boost for what shaped up to be the judge program. So is that how your position of judge program manager started? You cornered Josh Scott and you <laughs> no, no, no. was a gang of thugs told in Outback and forced him to... I mean, to... where were some people like Joe Kavanaugh, Ward Warren, Amanda Coots, uh, and uh, like some other people that were involved pretty early that, you know, were like trying to like help him. Uh, I remember at some point in... When was it? Hmm. June last year, I get a message. So what are you actually doing for a job? And I write like, oh, I'm student and judging. Nothing anymore for like, you know, a month or two. Mm -hmm. And at some point, like 11.45 in the evening. So are you interested in a job? And I'm like, uh, let's talk. So it was this kind of thing of, you know, doing conferences, having organized a lot there, being a around a lot giving input and so it also what it did form up early is like the moderator group of the discord the original one basically really more active people and i was in that group and yeah from there it went and at some point i got asked and it was this yeah very much like yeah let's have a discord chat and let's figure out what this is about and then yeah it went from there <laughs> No, that, that's great. I mean, at that point in your life, were you looking for something a little bit different than continuing to, you know, go from show to show judging and all of that? I mean, it was the, basically when 2021, I started a job at the Ministry for Foreign Affairs, realized, God, this is garbage. I don't want to do this. Basically jumped right back. Like, that's a reason why I didn't do Vegas back then, uh, because I was still doing the job. I basically canceled the job and I went on a seven-week judge trip. I went like three weeks to South America, went in, and that was the feeling where I was like, I really like this. But the thing of, you know, okay, let's make a company, let's make this professional, like do it proper, like get insurance, you know, I was like, let's do this decent and, mm -hmm. you know, in a way I enjoy, but proper. And then at some point when the offer came around, I was like, 
huh, this is actually this is the thing I like. This is an opportunity to shape something, to own something. And then it also gave me still some flexibility where it was like, hey, can I still do shows? Can I still, you know, go out and do the things I enjoy? And with the answer being mostly yes, I basically was like, yep, this fits pretty neatly in what I want. Because basically the pandemic and the job afterwards showed me like the things I don't want. Right. And that helped me being like, yeah, I want to do something with shows. And that just neatly fit in like, you know, like a perfect Tetris block when you need a line piece and be like, you know, don't know what's missing in my life. But then this comes along and you're like, yep, this this fits pretty well. Oh, that's awesome. Um, Can you just tell us, and, and, and I, I would imagine many people actually don't know that you know, the position of judge program manager even exists. Um, could you just let us know what are the responsibilities of that position and yourself? So basically, Josh is the rules and policy manager. So that's fairly straightforward. Um, I'm basically everything that's needed to run a judge program from the communications, testing, that the sh like show staffing works out for like, you know, callings, but everything down to like the player conduct committee or the judge conduct committee. Like I have a committee with a judge head of it, but I'm still the one that needs to organize it, needs to run it. Mm -hmm. So basically everything that touches a show, touches a rotation, national, everything judge-wise, uh, basically I'm the one that needs to keep it running. Obviously not alone with my resources, but like, you know, Joss does the documents, uh, organized play does a lot of things with ProQuest and Rotor Nationals, but if it comes to like, hey, do we want to do like, you know, change this in like, you know, the judge gifts or do we want to do this policy-wise for judges or, hey, we need this article to the judges understand how things work. Basically, the whole globe of everything that it, events just run smooth and, you know, nobody goes on Reddit, burns an event down and, you know, people are sad. And because right. like judges touch everything from customer service, things from like, you know, you pay at the counter to you get your ruling on a table and that somebody wants to come back is basically all dependent on judges. Sure, the rules need to be decent. The policy needs to be make sense. But carrying that over into like, you know, into the flesh and blood to basically quote it, that's the thing where like, that's my responsibility that that works smoothly. So I'm curious, um, how closely do you work with like Josh or the OP team? Or is there other teams at LSS that you work uh, closely with? So basically, I would say the three, like Josh is the one I like, you know, gonna usually at least once a week, more often have a meeting mm -hmm. um, on rules. I'm not the, that much of a rules savvy person. So that's his punt. But yep. policy, like, like when we talked about, you know, removing IP3 or if we talked about the new trigger fix, like that's things we talk about where like I put mm -hmm. also my input in like for judging games for years where like sometimes, you know, it's the, a word like, um, uh, if a player potentially made uh, decisions, like where I'm like aware that alone adding the word potentially can cause you problems or like how team trials work. So I'm giving my input there from like having like the knowledge over the years. So that's basically where then also Josh basically still going to write the documents, implement them. And also he's the one, you know, that's going to plan a bit more ahead. Yeah. And otherwise on like important decision on the judge program or in general, like we talk over the things and I'm like, Hey, I want to do this and this does sound good. And it's, you know, he's also my voice of reasoning or basically my voice of sanity that I talk with him and be like, Hey, I want to do those steps now. Otherwise, um, OP 
like with with Premiere OP and OP. And OP is like mainly like you know the running the ProQuest, running the Road to Nationals, like like having oh we have an issue with a store. Can you can we get some input? I'm gonna you know ask some judges. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is Premiere OP when it comes to like callings, worlds, pro tour, like you know which judges do we take? Uh, what are the needs of the event? Like hey, this is now a event with multi format, and I'm gonna be like hey we need more judges, and that's my interactions like with mostly and that's like obviously some other things that come up but that's like my most interactions are with the, with those people perfect thank you very much yeah and i mean you mentioned before you're located in vienna but most of lss is located um i think literally across the world from you <laughs> oh there's I no mean... other place further away than new zealand <laughs> yeah so i mean how how does that team dynamic work with that um with that arrangement. I mean, I remember when Josh uh, got me onboarded and he, he told me what James said. So where does that guy live again? Because <laughs> yeah. because Josh was like, you know, <laughs> telling him like, oh, I'm at this, at this calling and that calling. So it was kind of the, you know, the running joke that, oh, where do I actually live? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it depends a bit if it's winter or summer because winter, it's a uh, 12 hour time difference, my winter. And now it's 10 hours. So, for example, a 9 a.m. morning meeting in New Zealand is my 11 p.m. on Sunday. So if there's a meeting, they're usually going to be late for me. Like, you know, 11, midnight, where, like, that was, you know, expected from the start. Mm -hmm. It gets quirky if you want to then add somebody from the U.S. into a meeting because then your times get way less. And basically, it's the expectation of being available for meetings but the rest is very flexible like it's i couldn't like if i have my meetings till like 1 a.m go to sleep for six hours then i you know it's already like 9 a.m here it's already 7 p.m new zealand so you know if i just sleep the work day they're going to be over and so it's this having a workflow that based on communication and basically me knowing when things need to be there and then making meetings when they need to be and not trying to have useless meetings, you know, every day, five hours, because that would just grind me. Yeah. Um, it was tricky in the beginning, but I think now it's the, you know, oh, it is Thursday night here means it's Friday morning, New Zealand. If I wake up on a Friday morning, it's already weekend for them. Right. And so like, this is like, like where like my work week kind of never really ends because it's community work. But if it comes to like meetings and other things, it's like for me, Sunday night, 11 p.m., so basically Thursday night is like where it's like there's stuff more actively happening. Right. And that's like a little bit, you know, just shifted to what normal people would have. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was always a late night person. So that very much helps. <laughs> yeah. I'm a late night person. That sounds totally fine by me too. So that works for me. Um, shifting gears a little bit uh, for those that may be new to competitive uh, card games like Fab, can you tell us why judges are important outside of just rules clarification questions? I always like to, like I have, a, I have a good presentation I made years ago, and it's about uh, judge calls and customer service is the title of the presentation. Okay. Because basically, like as I mentioned before, a bit it's the if somebody wants to come back to an event, got gonna hang on a lot of different things. You know, some people are gonna come in and be like, you know, I wanna play full on casual all weekend. Other people are gonna in gonna go in and be like, oh I wanna win the calling. Those people, like you kinda need to 
you know, you want them to come back and that's basically everything from, yeah, sure, maybe it's just a rule call. Maybe it's just, you know, the where's the toilet because that question comes up a lot. Yeah. Like it's a lot of things that just basically make the picture together. But the core thing after all is still to enable that the integrity of an event works because it should be a fair game and it should not be a rigged game. And there it's this, the judge is your friend and you should never be afraid of calling them because you will have people that are going to be like, you know, if you have a judge call and, you know, let's say somebody, somebody, you know, attack was five, but they only write, wrote down four. They call a judge, the judge goes there and goes, oh, there's a GRV, there's going to be a warning and goes away from the table. You will have people that are going to go like, oh my God, I got a warning. Oh my God, yeah. you know, does my, does my gaming career end now? <laughs> and where like, you know, where then people will never call a judge again because they were like yeah. just confused and the judge used a lot of words they didn't understand because the lingo of fab is already complicated and if then a judge comes in it's even you know more complicated and just giving this customer service but yet assuring that everybody has a fair game everybody has a fair tournament and basically getting the right balance of we help you but at some point we've got to also kick you out of a tournament if you're an asshole right. and yeah. basically the being a friend of the player and never being seen as the enemy Unless, obviously, for cheaters, we are the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But otherwise, we are your friend and helper. And with we, you know, some people will see us as, like, the police. But, you know, we are doing a lot of more things than just that. And we're there to make everybody's day better at the tournament. Perfect. We've talked a fair bit about, like, the pre premier event side of things. What are some of the potential roles of judges in their communities outside of the direct work they do supporting Tier 2 and up events? So obviously, if it comes to you know community stuff, it gets very, uh, the lines get very blurry because we have, for example, judge community uh, representatives that kind of like you know are there as an anchor point for the communities. Like for example, yeah. Southeast uh, U.S., uh, Northeast East Europe, we have like eight, I think, Asia's uh, not a good set. Like they're there. Like judges can be there for you know shops to reach out and be like, hey, I want to run skirmish. Can you help me a bit, like how I best pull it off? Or, hey, I need a judge for my road to nationals. Can you help me find one? Like, it's basically from, sure, rules questions, but also community building, where, like, I had this discussion last week with somebody how far the judge community and the FAB community went the last two years, where, like, the help, the, how should I say this? The help, the communication, the feeling of community where judges basically can help so much if they like to be a little bit like, you know, in a more public uh, position that like, you know, stores which out to them, but it's, how should I say, there's never a one fits all approach that makes it complicated, mm -hmm. but at the same point, it makes it also so beautiful because you see how, for example, Southeast Asia are going to have a completely different approach than like the West Coast of the US, but both works perfectly. And it's it's nice seeing those things. So complicated but nice is right. what I would say for community. Speaking of the judge program, can you tell me a bit more about the judge program today? Like, what is it? How can we describe it to maybe somebody that's new to the game? I would summarize it as a club is the wrong word, but a group of people that decide that they do like the rules and they do like to apply them. And mm -hmm. then it differentiates what people, why people are in for it. Are they in for, I want to be the best rules person in my community? Or are they up for the, oh, I really like, you know, the challenge of like logistics of big events. So it's, I would say it is a baseline, a group of people that either like different things or 
find different things a challenge and they want to grow with it. And it's basically this very loose group that, sure, we are judges, but how yeah. we define that going to be a little bit more blurry. Right. So question, do you know how many registered judges there are worldwide? Uh, it's going to be somewhere, I mean, registered on JudgeHub. Uh, I need to see, but the last number I pushed was a little bit out uh, a few months ago. And we basically, the best numbers I had was at, where did I post this? Uh, this is in May. We were on uh, three and a half thousand uh, people signed up on JudgeHub. Okay. On 2000 L0s, uh, 1300 L1s, and back then 95 L2s. But if you, for example, compare it to now, where I think we're in 120 L2s, and L1s, I can tell you in a second. Like it is now basically whenever you have a ProQuest season or whenever there is a road to nationals, it obviously then does a pretty good growth. Yeah. Uh, so we now have 95 pages of this means. Quick <laughs> uh, napkin math. Yep. Uh, we have now 1,400 and something L1s. Okay. So if we look at this uh, compared to before, it is already uh, 200 and some, basically yeah. more to May. And on L2s, where we are now, L2s we have nine. So we, ooh, nine. It's actually, so basically uh, there we have 130 something L2s now. So basically it goes pretty nice forward. Nice. And obviously you need to always compare or to compare. Be in mind that a person signing up a judge hub can mean a lot of different things. Somebody being L1 also doesn't state much to the community involvement. And right. it can range from, you know, I'm showing up once a month at my local game store and do like a skirmish, or it can go up to I'm doing everything in my state twice a weekend. Mm -hmm. And that's like a little bit of, you know, the the involvement very much varies. So follow-up question, are you satisfied with the number of judges for the game? And how can you, and if you're not, how can you tell when there are enough judges? Like it's, with the game still growing, it's a tricky thing because US or Europe has a lot of judges already, like in numbers, where obviously like at some point quality is important. Like if I have on the, on the paper 5,000 L1s and, you know, I never actually updated my judge questions like last three years, it means nothing. You know, it's, right. it's, it's a number on the paper. So we already had it, have ideas how we want to basically go for the future and be like, hey, how do we improve the quality of judges? You know, maintenance, for example, uh, requirements that you need to judge an event. But with the game still growing, like Brazil started last year and Brazil will soon get their first L2 because it's a natural thing. Yeah. You know, at some point you get an L2, then more recommendations. Japan is just growing. So basically, as long as I have those new regions, it is pretty tricky to change something in the metrics. So yes, I'm happy with the amount of judges, but only at the places that where the game already is for some time. Yeah. I definitely need more judges in Japan, mm -hmm. uh, in some regions in Asia. But it's this balance of if I would say in you know two years we are worldwide everywhere and every region has a lot of judges, I will then definitely be like, yeah, you know, quality needs to be more thing. I don't yeah. need actively more judges, but this line now, I'm I I'm not allowed to be tricked to trying to iron over everything with the same level. I basically need to acknowledge that uh, Japan is different than the US, Brazil is different than Europe, and yeah. that makes my job also very tricky because I need to keep that in mind 
what is needed where and how do I help each region the best? Oh, and that makes sense. Yeah, that's fun. And their political <laughs> science comes in here. <laughs> so are there lessons that you brought in from other uh, judge programs and incorporated them into FAB? Or have you been sort of designing this from scratch with your own um, thoughts and needs in, in mind? It's obviously what I've been growing up as a judge has played a role because obviously that's what branded me as a judge. But like I've seen the Magic Judge program undergoing some significant changes mm -hmm. when Wizards decided to outsource it to a company. And that had had very big impact on the judge community there. I have worked some Pokemon events and so that community there as well. So it, you know, it's things where like, it, like the judge uh, cup on worlds, like is something that, you know, Pokemon does for years. And where like, I got inspiration from because let's say, let's be honest, TPCI is a company with a lot of money and you can see, you know, what can be done with a lot of money for a judge program. Obviously, yeah. if we don't have those funds, it's sure. definitely a thing. But, it, you know, it gives me inspiration. It'd be like, you know, those things are nice. Yeah. I don't need to necessarily, you know, oh, here's a bunch of foils. And sometimes, oh, here's a nice trophy for the win of this tournament. And it means a lot to judges. But the Magic Judge program has shaped me a lot. Mm -hmm. But I need to honestly say, as mentioned before, the a lot of community aspects went away in Magic. And that's something that I just... As a person that grew up with it, I grow, I grew with the judge program. I grew as a person, as a judge, and that's something I want to enable judges as well in Fab. Like, sure, you're gonna learn your rules and your policy, but I also want to learn your conflict management. I also want to learn you, you know, how to deal with feedback, like the right. Vienna Conference and many of those things. And that's something what I, as a judge and as a person, has learned a lot, and I want to enable that again because it will make you a better judge, but it will also make you a better human being. And basically this combination of all shaped in a judge program that you feel at home, it gives the things you want from it, but it also gives back kind of. Okay. Thanks. I'm going to give you a second to brag if you want. Um, is there something that you've incorporated into flesh and blood that you're proud of um, that you came up with on yourself or something that you took from another program, but revamped it and shaped it in your own image? I would say the conference system in fab because i have run a lot of conference over the last years and i think seeing how other games either you know have destroyed the conferences by giving foils and value and people just uh, foil from them yeah. and i think the differentiation of events and what conference gives you stuff and what not and how you apply for them i'm pretty happy about the initial draft of that because I very much looked at other things, how they had been or how they are right now and how they do not work yeah. due to different reasons. But that's something where we're sitting down a lot on the drawing board and be like, you know, how does this work with the judge boosters? How do we do this? How do we reward people, but at the same time, don't go overkill? And that's, I think, is my a very big custom baby that I made that now obviously needs to get better and needs to, you know, learn and evolve. But I'm pretty happy about the baseline I made there. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> Can you also take credit for the concept of judge packs? No, not, not that much. <laughs> Basically, that was a long discussion of, because that was one of the things, like I started last year in September. Having an original draft at the World's Conference in San Jose, you know, was one thing. But everything with like printing stuff and logistics takes like half a year. So yeah. we were sitting together and, you know, 
thought about how to make this and the things of making it boosters did not come from me. It was somebody brought it up and I was like, I like the idea. And back in the day, we didn't know yet, you know, if it's going to like randomized or if you just fancy pack them. But mm. basically the idea did not come from me, but I like it because they also look very pretty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, uh, that's awesome. Um, and you mentioned you've been with, uh, with LSS officially for around a year. Did you have any like key objectives for yourself starting out? Like what kind of changes you would make within a certain amount of time? like within a year, within two years and all of that? I mean, I think it started off with the, hey, let's get something together that I can show people that they're going to be a vision, that there's a vision, a mission, something we're going to want to work towards. And I remember when the things I presented last year at Worlds, you know, like having the testing be revamped, having uh, like advanced certifications, having the different uh, projects, basically, you know, having a judge program in general. Uh, when I presented that, I was like, you know, hey, I have now my roadmap for the next year because the plan was like, you know, judge boosters around summer this year and before that implement the rest. And uh, I remember then in spring when I was like, whoo, I now have a PCC, I have a JCC, I have this project team on tech, I have this project team on exam. And at some point I was like, whoo, what are the next steps? And they're like, you know, that's getting more envisioned now. But obviously, it also depends a lot on what OP going to be the next years. Because whatever organized play is, the judge program going to shape for the needs of it. And that's now in the phase where we are. Where I'm a little bit like, hmm, my big things are like, you know, out. The, like the big things I wanted to create. And now it's this reshaping this vision, like quality of judges. Like, how do we improve this? And now this is like my big challenge right now. Where I'm like, you know, I need something that the judge program can work towards. And people feel like this is a goal, but at the same time, phrasing that goal is not easy. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, you you mentioned OP uh, next year, and we know that Fab is expanding to places like Japan, I believe. Um, they've teased that there would even be a calling there in 2024. And that's just one example of the growth that you've been talking about, Klaus, is uh, one of the challenges that um, you have and the judge program has just to make sure that all these different regions are supported. Um, are there anything in the works in regards to something like translated documents or uh, anything like that just to help um, that growth into all these different areas? Plans yet, yes, but due to basically trying to figure out the baseline first, it will be something that we're working on soon because like, for example, having something in Spanish already helps a lot of people, having something in Portuguese, having something in Japanese. Like I remember back in the days for my first TCG tests, learning in English and then in German, like it is a thing that will happen. It is more the thing of there's some other key aspects that just need to happen first right. because it's the, you know, if we now start doing it and it, do not put it on good foundations. Trying to shift those foundations is going to be very hard. But I know there's a lot of people that want to do it, and I'm pretty sure we will be able to get it done. I don't know when the exact timing is just going to be. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Of course, there must be a lot of competing priorities. The the JCRs must do a lot of legwork in, in those areas to, it's, to help it's, out, hey? It's a thing very much. It depends where the JCRs are and what they want to do. Because it's uh, like it's a role that's like, 
it's a world they can shape how they want. And I have some JCRs, like for example, Luna in Brazil, uh, they have already translated some things. They've translated the article they just wrote for um, the blog. And basically different different regions require different methods. And that's also a focus for me this year. Like we had a month or two ago, a meeting with the JCRs of the different regions and the leads of trying to figure out like, hey, how can I in my position help your region? What does your region need? Because yes, we now have a global judge program but I cannot dictate from above what will be good for the regions. I need it, need it. I need to know from you. And that's the thing that I want to improve a lot this year on to basically be like, Hey, this region, it's this, this region, it's that. And, and basically grow with, grow with this and work with this. Yeah. And when you say every region needs different methods, different means of communication, this is something that you've alluded to a couple times now. Does that simply mean something like people within a certain cultural group expect things a little more direct or like, what are some of those different tips that you might have for, for saying, you know, different regions may require a different style? I mean, yes, cultures themselves and how they interact is relevant. Uh, like Asia hierarchy plays a different role, especially Japan. Uh, but a lot, uh, one of the most important things is geography and languages. Because in Europe, like if I drive uh, one hour north, I'm going to be in the Czech Republic. If I'm driving east in an hour, I'm in uh, Slovakia. If I'm driving a little bit further south, I'm in Hungary. And if I'm driving like two hours north or south, I'm in uh, Slovenia. And I'm in four different languages in like a very short uh, duration of time. Uh, in the US, if you're in Texas and you drive 10 hours, you're basically almost still in Texas, depending where you start. And this being aware that like, for example, geography plays in a language of how a community grows. Like if I make a region that is called a German speaking region, like we have, it's going to evolve, evolve differently than I call, I, then I make a region with Poland together and I have two languages. But at the same point, if in Southeast Asia and you live like in Malaysia uh, or you're living on like one of the other islands, you're like, you know, a, a two hour apart, a two hour flight apart from the next judge maybe. And being aware of this, that you just need to scale it differently. And also sometimes it means like, hey, we maybe need to do like, make an online interview with somebody about getting them a level two recommendation because otherwise they will never get it. Mm-hmm. And being aware that yes, there is the rules and yes, there is the concept of how it should work, but sometimes you need to look at it differently and evaluate, okay, this does maybe not work for X. This maybe does not work for Y. And that's, I think, is the big things, language and geography. Culture, yeah. yes, also relevant, but I would say that's the third one coming in. Thank you for sharing that insight. Not a, a lot of things that I never really even considered would be things that you needed to think about. Um, currently, most people know about the differences between like a level zero, one, and two judge. What other certifications and roles are in the works? Uh, the one thing that comes up this year uh, is uh, the team lead certification, where basically L1 and L2 mainly focuses on policy, on rules, where the team lead certification done more on soft skills, like, hey, how do you deal with the tasks? How do you grow your team members? Basically focusing on this. The next one planned is medium event head judge, like, you know, a uh, battle hardened. Like, hey, this is 100 to 200 players. Like, what do you need to plan? What do you need to prepare for? And the third one that's 
very far out and very, you know, only sketched out is basically calling head judge to basically then for this one have like, you know, how do you manage a team with like, you know, 30 judges? How do you manage an event of a thousand people? How do you manage multi-day tournaments? But basically the, yes, rules and policy are important, but basically investigations, other skills, like those things are what those certifications focus on. They are also, especially the later ones, not final yet. And it's still a little bit what we currently need, growing with it and then adjusting how we go basically. But yeah, team certification is the first one. Okay, awesome. That sounds, some of that sounds really exciting. Uh, We had Ryan on quite a while ago discussing some of this and uh, when Felix and I talked to him, one of the things that, you know, we don't have a lot of experience with is um, that customer service side of things where there's a, a player problem and how do we do that? How, sorry, how do we deal with that as well as um, investigations, um, yeah. finding out whether or not somebody is, you know, intentionally cheating or not intentionally cheating. And those are definitely skills that I lack. And so I'm really excited to hear that, that there's a plan uh, for that coming in the future to help um, support judges with, that are not, you know, comfortable in those situations. Yeah, like if you look at uh, conferences in the beginning, 2021 and the beginning of 2022, was a lot of basic topics because people needed to learn the basics, how to do a deck check, how yep. do you know a judge call works. And now we're doing more specialized conferences that people basically learn the other things because now we have actually a foundation to build off. I remember when I we talked about world stuffing because 188 people applied for worlds. Um, and we talked about how much how much growth there has been in Europe since the last year because Lil and before that was uh, Utrecht and uh, Madrid and Krakow, yeah. like like Fab in Europe started half a year later, and you could see how much that growth basically did. Yeah. And those skills now, the new ones, they gonna be more frequent, more articles. You don't need to get the certification to be able to learn them. They're gonna be seminars, but yeah. it's just gonna basically now with actually having a conference lead and being able to you know have more resources for it. It's gonna like you know steadily grow from now that those things are more widely available available being that judges are worldwide and in different time zones like we talked about are those seminars going to be recorded so that somebody in a different time zone has has access to them and they don't have to get up at like two o'clock in the morning to to listen to them so time zones are a tricky thing on that especially for the <laughs> yes. online ones yeah so recording is always the problem that the after work for that is so much like you always right. need to get somebody cutting everything it usually doesn't really happen is my personal experience. Yeah. We have, for example, the Nationals Conference Series coming up in uh, this month. And we try to adjust for time zones to give basically different people the chance to participate. And if I look right. at it, if I'm not blind, uh, it's basically two days are catered at European evening time. So, for example, okay. if you're in, in East Asia or Oceania, you can join it in the morning and basically uh, be in Europe there or in the US, like, you know, during the day. And then two other days are basically not really European time because they're like the US evening and then work well for Asia as well. So that's something where we try to cater for it. But one thing we also do is like collect the presentations and making them available. Obviously, it's not as good as a video, but it's just the the amount of work for that is a lot. Would I like it? Yes. Would I also need like a handful of skilled people for video editing to do that? Yes. And then, you know, you need to cut things out if somebody doesn't want to have one thing and la di Yeah, well, we're just about to wind down a little bit here, Klaus, with a couple just broad questions here. Um, 
thank you so much for getting into those specifics. Um, and my overall question to you is, what advice would you have for people that may be interested in judging, but they may be scared about judging because they've never tried it or they don't have a TCG background, they're not sure what it's about, and maybe not sure about how even to take the first step? Like, what what would you, you say to people like that? I would say it that way for me, for myself. I have started off as a judge and always use the Murphy's Law approach. Like, oh, every judge girl I take will blow up. Everything I will touch will be the worst case. You know, why would life treat me nice? Um, what, I what I learned over the time is there's always other people like you. There's enough people that just started. There's enough people that will also help you. And basically be like, you know, I remember I myself reaching out years ago to my local judges here and just like the knowledge, the help that was there because yes, it's a worldwide community. Yes, it's a few thousand people, but we still feel as one community. We're like, we're judges for, in this case for flesh and blood. And so like, even if you would go down and be like, hey, I'm a judge for this new game and can you help me from X other game? The people will help you and the people will be like, hey, you know this, you can do it that way, this way, or here's some tips for the first event or hey, come judge with me. There will be always other people helping you, take, taking your hand and be like, hey, this is a thing. This is the thing that maybe is for you personally a thing that you will struggle with. And there the JCRs are a great uh, contact point, I would say, because you can reach out to them and be like, hey, I, I know you live in DC and I'm living in Philadelphia, but hey, do you know a judge here that I can contact? And you know, they maybe can judge with me and you know, they will help them, get them somebody to judge with, and there will be a helping hand for those people. So if anybody comes and thinks, you know, hey, this is maybe too big for me, I've been there as well, and most judges have been there as well, and people are there to help you. There was a question I thought about a little while ago and I kind of forgot about it until now, and you had said community just in your last response here. How do you keep the judge program worldwide worldwide feel like a community you have like you said you have so many people with different backgrounds and experiences i can't imagine it's an easy thing to do but how do you go about kind of keeping like a tight group um like at one point obviously it's the the game itself gives identity already the game yeah. the rules the policy it gives already a common spirit so there's a, a lot of groundwork already made but if it comes to online conferences, having people from different regions present in other regions, like Jono, who is like the uh, JCR lead for Asia Pacific, one of the two, lives uh, in New Zealand on the South Island, like far away from everything else. But he will present online. You will see him. Same point as you will see somebody from the US present, you know, at the conference in Asia Pacific time zone. So it's a little mm. bit, you know, getting the overlap. Okay. Also events, there's also people that are always applying for like events in the US or but worlds obviously is the thing where a lot of people apply, where yeah. we actively look at it being like, okay, what's the languages you speak? What's the needs of the event? What's the needs for the community? Like, where are you from? Like, do we have a judge from there? Like, trying to get somebody in. Do they also get the knowledge and be an ambassador for their community and be like, you know, hey, it was really nice doing this international event. But obviously, the, the more projects, the more, you know, blog articles from different regions you have, basically... If I have a project, just looking at it and be like, oh, this is not six six Americans sitting in a box, but it's like two Americans, uh, maybe somebody from Brazil, it's somebody from uh, two people from Europe, it's one person mm -hmm. from Southeast Asia, that also those projects have like ownership together. And it's not like, you know, 
some a bunch of white dudes sitting in a room and thinking they know, <laughs> don't know best. Yeah, we're already in a very like card games and people are usually in a from a more privileged position in a in a community in a country. Like right. you know, it costs money, it costs like time, and that's already something that you know sometimes not very inclusive. But I try to do the best to make it in a way that it can be more inclusive. Not necessarily, you know, I cannot give somebody like, you know, here's 5K, build yourself five decks. Sure, but like yeah. include other communities, include uh, other regions. Um, it also comes down to things like giving opportunities to people that maybe otherwise don't have it. Like Americans, for example, like US people to be precise, have a lot of shows. Like I will not, like if I have the, the possibility to fly somebody to Worlds, like let's say I have five people I can just send there. I will most likely take people of, of regions that don't have shows that are mm -hmm. underrepresented because if I fly five additional Americans over, uh, US people, they already have a lot of shows. So yeah. trying to give those people the spotlight that those people can also influence the community, but also can be seen. And that's a, let's be honest, very tricky, very complicated and very hard to make, but I try. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you. Would you have any advice for the general fab community out there on how to keep both the player base and the judge community growing together? As mentioned, judges are your friends and are there to help you at the show, after the show, before the show, online, whatever. Uh, I hope it never comes to the point, you know, that we're only seen as a stepping stone or an issue. Like, yeah. and I know in some games where, like, you know, stores go, like, you know, judges are a burden. Like, why do we even need to get them? They're just a problem. And right. obviously, the quality of judges being hopefully high and getting high in the future helps a lot. But as players, sometimes understanding that if you sometimes break the rules intentionally or not, you will sometimes get a penalty and you will sometimes not like it, but it's part of a bigger picture of keeping everything fair. And sometimes it can mean that a single person not going to have the greatest day. It sadly happens. And especially if you see somebody else is having a greatest day, a great day. Like, for example, let's say somebody got suspended for a year and then, you know, you don't know exactly what happened, you know, it's tricky. But yeah. sometimes we maybe will get people that did get a disqualification that was maybe if everything would be known to everybody and everybody has telepathy, would not have been a DQ. But yeah. a lot of DQs, a lot of things, a lot of penalties, a lot of IP2s, a lot of game losses don't feel great for players, but they are part to keep the system running. Of course, yeah. All right. I think that just about wraps up. I got one final question. Um, do you have any closing thoughts or anything like that you'd like to say that we didn't cover or anything? Hmm. Not really, I think. I mean, it's more the line of, I hope that the growth of the community, the growth of the game, and also the communication around it continues as it does, and that I hopefully contribute to it in a good way and basically look back in a year to this now, like I look back now to when I started last year and be like, eh, I think so far has been a good year. And I hope, you know, at some point it's going to be good, a good two years. And at some point it's going to be good three years and so on and so on. All right. Thank you. I already think you're doing a fantastic job. So thank you very much for all of the effort that you put in for the judge community and even the player base out there. If anybody has any questions, how can they reach you? Uh, the official way for like, you know, having question for a judge pro, uh, program is judge at fabtcg.com that's like basically hey you know you have questions about the judge program 
like something specific about that uh, that goes there. Uh, otherwise, my email address is klaus at legendstories.com, but that's more like, you know, if it's something really personally for me. And otherwise, I am on a Discord, on the Judge Discord, and I'm hanging around. So basically, if somebody uh, asks questions there, that usually, you know, somebody going to ask me or Josh, don't ping us directly, but we're usually lurking around in the shadows, reading things, and usually going to give our input. But there's also, for a lot of general judge questions, the Discord, a lot of capable people are there to help with general questions, general help, and it's a good place to, in general, start to basically also contact others. Thank you so much, Klaus, for the interview and for speaking with us. And thank you to all our listeners. You can find us at uh, IP2 Podcast on YouTube, IP2 Podcast on Twitter, and IP2 Podcast at Wraith.social on Mastodon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I mean, you can suffer now through my German sentence building because the running joke is the longer the day goes, the more my this sentence building gets German. And then sometimes it's like, why is this this way? And, you know, people will understand me, but they go like, huh? <laughs>